This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on your official home of the Flames. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Let's kick things off on a Monday. It is July 10th. Welcome to Sportsnet Today. It's Logan Gordon along with you. From the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios here in Calgary, Alberta. Already a couple days into the stampede. Alongside my outstanding producers today, Azam is here. What's up, Azam? Good, how are you? I'm doing all right, pal. Taylor's here. She's getting your Jays report ready to go. We got Shan back on afternoon. Shan, how we doing, pal? Logan, I'm doing well. I'm happy to be back for the afternoons. I, the morning wake-ups were pretty rough. <laughs> it takes some getting used to. I always give the guys the credit uh, in the morning. Those, uh, those early wake-up calls can get to you. Uh, but glad to have you back on the afternoons rocking out with us. Uh, we got lots to get to. Just an hour of Sportsnet today. On this Monday, we'll jump into some Flames talk with Pat coming up a little bit later on, but we've got lots to get to this hour. We'll get to a Stamps report with Patty Dumas. Disappointing result for the Calgary Stampeders on Friday against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. The offense gets shut down in the second half, and Jake Mayer and company only walked out of Winnipeg with 11 points scored in a 1-3 and record. Uh, Jays heading into the All-Star break with 50 wins under their belt. Taylor's got the latest in the Jays report, but we start with the biggest trade uh, so far this summer, I'd say, uh, going down over the weekend. It involves the Ottawa Senators and the Detroit Red Wings, a trade that we've heard about for a couple of days now coming up, but was finally uh, finished off yesterday. And the Detroit Red Wings acquire Alex Dabrinkit from the Ottawa Senators. Debrinket's time in Ottawa ends after just one season. And Debrinket signs a new contract with the Detroit Red Wings. He is from Farmington Hills, Michigan. So this is as close to home as it gets for uh, Alex Debrinket, 25 years old. Former 40-goal scorer with the Ottawa, with the Chicago Blackhawks, excuse me, twice scoring 40 goals in his time with Chicago. Coming off of a pretty good 66-point season with Ottawa. Maybe a little bit down for what he was expecting, but still, 27 goals, 39 assists. uh, Very respectable, but a down year overall for the Ottawa Senators. And it leads to, you know, Alex Dabrinkit going into his UFA summer and telling the Ottawa Senators, I'm not going to sign long term. Something that's not unfamiliar to people listening here in Calgary. Uh, It would be best for you to trade me. That's what the Senators do. In exchange, they get Dominic Kubalik, Donovan Sobrango, and a 2024 first-round pick, uh, which comes with some conditions on it, and a 2024 fourth-round pick from the Detroit Red Wings. The conditions on that is Detroit has the option to send their own or Boston's 2024 first-round pick. 
Uh, there's some conditions on there. Like if the Bruins is a, is a top 10 pick, Boston can retain the pick and then transfer their 2025 pick instead. And then Detroit has the option of sending Boston's unprotected pick in 2025 or their own in 2024. There's a lot of semantics around around that. But Detroit gets uh, the goal scorer that they've so badly needed. And it's funny, we talked about both of these teams last, last week in our uh, NHL reviews that we've sort of been going over. We talked about Toronto, Philly. We dove into Ottawa and Detroit last week with uh, two different beat writers who cover the team. And we, we asked about Alex to bring it uh, to Ian Mendez and to uh, Helene St. James, who covered the, the Sens and the Red Wings, respectively. And both of them said at that time, yeah, look, this is something that we can absolutely see happening. And from a Detroit perspective, it was really interesting uh, to hear from Helene because she was cautious about it. We'll hear her response in just a few seconds here. Uh, when I brought up the Debrinket idea to her, um, she got some of it right when it comes to the re-signing portion of Alex Debrinket as well. But offense was something that we had talked a lot about with this Detroit team, and it's something that they seemingly have solved with this trade. Here's uh, a bit of what we talked about with Alex uh, about Alex Debrinket last week uh, on the show with Helene St. James, who covers the Red Wings. Uh, okay, Helene, what's what's next for Detroit here? I think the fair thing to go to next would be. Uh, addressing the fact that Alex Debrinket uh, continues to be connected to this Detroit team. And I guess that sort of fits the theme of our conversation today, that the Red Wings are still looking for scoring help. Do you think Alex Debrinket fits with this Detroit team and what they're trying to do going forward? Uh, I think he'd fit if you could get him, you know, for five or six years and around seven and a half million. If he wants, you know, seven or if he's traded and then signed here eight, eight years, at closer to eight and a half, nine, I think I think you'd be wary of that. Uh, you know, just that, that's a lot of money to commit. And I think the other is just if you're Ottawa, how do you sell trading a 40-goal score to a team that's pretty close, that, that's rebuilding as well inside your division? I just yeah. think you, you really, really have to get a big return, better than you might need from a Western Conference team in order to sell your fans to – oh, hey, why did we ship out this 41-goal score to a team that the Senators are going to be playing uh, four times a year and is in direct competition with for a playoff spot in the Atlantic Division? Okay, so there's a lot there. The first part is, uh, Elaine was, you know, and fair enough, cautious about giving the kind of term to Alex Dabrinkit that would say, you know, seven or eight years. He signs a four-year extension with them. Thirty-one and a half million comes with an AAV of uh, seven point eight seven five. So I think a very respectable AAV for a twenty-five-year-old. He gets to be a UFA in four years at twenty-nine. Who knows what the salary cap will have risen to by that point? Either if he wants to stay in Detroit or if they need to find a way to move on from him. I think it's fair to say that that's a very reasonable number for a guy under 30 with his kind of resume to uh, look at being moved at that point, if that's what has to happen. And B, the Ottawa side of things is, it's an unfortunate one, and it's one we know well in Calgary. It's one that Ian Mendez sort of brought up with us, or brought up, excuse me, with uh, with Rustic and, and Francis earlier today when they talked about this uh, on the big show. And it's that you're, you're sometimes you get handcuffed as a GM. It's something that the Flames have dealt with. It's something that they might be dealing with, in a sense, with Lindholm and Hannafin. It's that 
you know, look, the, the player has all this control saying, look, I'm only going to go to these certain places or I'm only going to go to these places and I'm going to re-sign with these teams. And it's up to you to figure out what the return looks like from that point. And for a GM side of things, I think you do the best that you can with limited options. And it certainly sounds as though that's what the Ottawa Senators were dealing with. So here's Ian Mendez, who covers the, the Sens from The Athletic, talking about you know, not a, a dissimilar situation between what Ottawa's gone through, going through now and going through with, with Alex Dominguez and what the Flames have gone through the last couple of years with a couple of American players, you know, essentially choosing their destination and putting their GMs in a bit of a tough spot. But really, it's no different. And I think your listeners in Calgary would really sympathize with this situation that Ottawa's in with the Brinkett, right? Because it's similar to what you dealt with in the past with Goudreau and Kachuk. It's very similar to what you're dealing with, with Elias Lindholm, uh, you know, Noah Hannafin. Where, like, you got these guys, and they're one year away from being a UFA, and you're, just, you're, you're on the fence. And when it's obvious that the guy isn't going to re-sign, or at least not commit to re-signing now, I think you, you need to do what's best for the organization and, and make the trade, right? You can't have the Johnny Gaudreau situation where you play this kind of cat-and-mouse game and, you know, will he sign, won't he sign, and then you get past the deadline and then you've lost all your leverage. So I think from that perspective, it's a blessing. But what happens in these is situations is the, the return becomes somewhat diluted, right? Because the Brinkett held most of the cards here. Even though he's an RFA, he held most of the cards. And really, I think it became quite evident that this young man just wanted to go home. He, he grew up in Michigan, uh, was a Detroit fan growing up as a kid. I think he could see the finish line to next year and see that he had the opportunity to handpick his destination. I think that's where he wanted to go. And so you're painted into a bit of a corner. Uh, and sometimes you you can pull out a rabbit of your out of your hat. I, I think Brad for living last year, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, but you know, getting Mackenzie Weger and Jonathan Huberto, that was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You, you know, say what you want about how it all played out and the extension and the, the all that, but at the time, I think we all thought, okay, that was a pretty good return under the circumstances. When you're painted into a corner, which I think you know, Pierre Dorian was kind of painted into a corner. He did the best that he could, and so the return was somewhat underwhelming. So there's Ian Mendez. And I think he makes a couple of good points there. I, I do think that the, the Kachuk one winds up being a bit of an outlier in these situations, especially when you do look at the return for Ottawa. I feel I, I feel for them. Obviously, it's something that we've seen here too. The return's not... On paper, the return's extremely underwhelming, right? There's There's no real easy way to sell what you get back in these situations other than the alternative is nothing. Right, that's the alternative. Is that you walk these guys to free agency and they leave for nothing? That's that's the alternative. So you kind of have to spin whatever it is that you manage to get into a, a positive. And look, Dominic Kubalik is a, an interesting player. He's twenty seven, got a bit of a scoring touch. He's a middle six player. He scored twenty goals. He scored thirty goals once with the Chicago Blackhawks. So it's not it's not nothing. What you do with that first-round pick, whether as an asset or a drafted player, I think becomes you know, the biggest thing in all of it if you want to try to turn that trade into a win if you're Ottawa. 
but that's still not that's still not easy. That's still asking you to to turn a, a first round pick into what at least what what Alex DeBrinket is, if not better. That means a forty goal plus guy. Not every first round pick is going to be that. Even if you hit on a first round pick, it doesn't mean they're going to be that. That's a very high bar to set. So it, it can be tough, and it can lead to you know, teams and, and fans feeling upset about it. And I, I do, I don't have to tell anyone here in Calgary what it feels like to have that, that pressed upon you, but it does lead you to wondering how these returns get to be so little for a, a 25 year old who's, like I said, scored 40 goals twice in his career. And, you know, the return again is what it is. And here's Mendez uh, again on, on what it is for the Ottawa senators in return. But, also a bit on on why you have to kind of put it in perspective if you're a team that's in one of these situations with an RFA who won't re-sign with you. What I wrote in my column today, look, this is not a home run, but it's not a complete swing and a miss. It's it's something in between. I, I said it's like a ground rule double. And <laughs> and uh, and Pierre Dorian, st- he's still at the plate because, uh, you know. He lost you me. Got a little I don't bit know of- baseball. I know. I was totally yeah, going to say something like that. Yeah, <laughs> terrible, terrible baseball reference. I shouldn't have. Uh, no, 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 Aaron good. just doesn't watch baseball, uh, which is fine. Like baseball. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, my my point is like, it, I think we got to wait a little bit because, like, what if this week they can find a way to fit in Vlad Tarasenko or Thomas Tatar or Travis Konechny or you know Scott Lawton or you, know, you can do something. You got a little bit of flexibility. Not a ton, but you got a little bit more flexibility now that you don't have to brink it potentially on the books for, you know, seven and a half or nine million next season. So like from that perspective, I'm willing to wait, but the actual return, I think this is what hurts from my vantage point for Ottawa is this last year, they gave up this seventh overall pick to Chicago to get them. Uh, and they also gave up a second and a third round pick, but the, you know, obviously the key thing was the first pick top 10 overall, they give that up. And now in the return, sure. They, they do land a first rounder from Detroit, but there's a massive caveat to that, and that is Detroit's got two first-round picks next year. One is their own. The other is from Boston from the, via the Tyler Bertuzzi trade. Detroit has the right to give Ottawa the worst of the two picks. And so let's be honest here. In all likelihood, that's going to be Boston's pick, mm-hmm. right? And I, I, I don't think Boston's going to obviously play at a 65 win level but i do expect them to probably make the playoffs and probably be a 95 to 105 point team or whatever it is so you would look at that and say okay in all likelihood that pick is going to fall somewhere between 20 and 32 so you've taken a seventh overall pick and kind of downgraded it down 15 20 spots whatever that's the part of it that's going to hurt for ottawa because you know they traded their first round pick this year for jacob checker they traded, traded their first round pick last year for Alex to bring it. And when you do that, and both of you know this, when you trade first round picks, usually you're a Stanley cup contender, right? Like that's what, that's what the Tampa's and the Toronto's of the world do. They just trade their first round picks knowing, Hey, we're in win now mode. When you trade multiple, like the only other team I could think of in the salary cap era, and I'm sure your listeners or you guys might have other examples, but where you trade, where you don't pick in the first round for consecutive years, you don't make the playoffs. Think of that Toronto team under Brian Burke that they traded for Phil Castle, uh, you know, in and around whatever that was, 20, 2009, 10, and they gave up Sagan and they gave up Dougie Hamilton and they didn't make the playoffs. Like, that's kind of 
unfortunately for Ottawa, that's where you're at. When when you trade first round picks, boy, you better be making the playoffs. And when you miss it in six straight years, it 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 kind of hurts. It kind of hurts, and that's that's where the Ottawa Senators really lose this for me. And it's a point that gets brought up on the fan feedback line at nine six zero nine six zero. Our pal Matt and Cochran texting in, and Matt says. No way new ownership keeps Dorian, right? Feels like he's fumbled the bag here in back-to-back years. Giving him the seventh overall for Debrinkit and giving up another high pick for might, might just be a few years of Chikrin. I'll focus on the first part of that because I think that's the key to this is that return, like Mendez says, like what he says there is true to me. And I think it's one that we got to start to live with if more and more guys in the NHL are going to start to choose their destination like this and, and kind of hold these teams hostage and say, look, I, I just I want to play here. Figure out what the best return you can do for that is or I'm going to walk in free agency. You're going to have to live with what the return is. And I think if you're Ottawa or any other team that is going to be in this position, can you live with Kubalik, a prospect, a first-rounder and a fourth? Okay, yeah, probably. Again, like he said, it's not a home run, but it's also better than nothing. But where it hurts you and where Matt's text is right is that you gave up something so high for this guy before. If you're going to give up something like the seventh overall pick in a draft, you can't you can't have a one-and-done season with this guy. Right? And it's the same for Detroit on the other side of it, who didn't give up nearly as much but had the advantage of at least signing him for a couple of seasons. And I think that's why it's becoming more and more of a thing. It's surprising that it took so long for it to be Calgary and Florida to do this for the first time. Why haven't haven't sign and trades been a more popular option in the NHL to avoid these sort of things? Because if you're Ottawa going back now, seeing how many teams have done it in between, do you make the trade for Debrinket if you know you can't sign him? And I'm sure the, the option and I'm sure the optics look different you know, before the season, they had a terrible season and I'm sure he's telling you all the right things, but he holds all the cards. Oh yeah. You know, we'll figure it out in the summertime. I'm sure we can get things going. Then you have a terrible year and all of a sudden things have changed and it's not so merry anymore. And all of a sudden the thoughts are, yeah, I'd rather be, I'd rather be back in Michigan playing for Detroit. And that's the the best I'm going to give you. You can't give up something like the seventh overall pick for one year of Alex to bring it where you don't make the playoffs. That's where it's a total loss for the team. The return is what it is. Teams will have to live with that. The NBA has been doing it for 20 years where guys have, you know, started picking their destinations. And if they're not opting out of contracts, you know, they're being asked to be traded to certain destinations. Well, certain destinations know that and they're not going to give you, top prospects and high-end draft picks and all this stuff for someone that they can sign freely in a year's time. Does it make it any easier if you're Ottawa? No, but you make it a lot worse on yourself when you look at what you gave up for Alex Dabrinkit and you look at the year, the one year that you had with him to add on to it. Now, before we we move on from this, uh, of course, you know, we're the home of the Calgary Flames here on Sportsnet and the Flames have a couple of players themselves still around the rumor mill. You know, Backlund, Lindholm, Hannafin, those kind of names 
uh, as well. So how does this sort of does this do anything in the sense of the Calgary Flames? Does this open up a trade window for the Calgary? I don't know. I don't know that we see a rush on on some of those guys out there. I don't know that this this deal moves on a uh, Connor Hellebuck trade or a Lindholm or a Hanif. I have no idea about that. I don't think that there's necessarily a comparable in here either for Flames fans looking at what they might get back for a Hannafin or a Lindholm. I think Debrinket being as young as he is, being as, you know, uh, the kind of resume that he has. And look, Elias Lindholm has a great resume too. He's also older. He plays a different position. He's more defensively sound than Debrinket is. Teams value that in different senses. You, it's It's apples and oranges. And I appreciate that they are both forwards in the NHL market and potentially available, but I don't know that I would look at this trade as a Calgary Flames fan and say, okay, that's the basis for a Lindholm or a Hannafin or even a Backlund type deal. I just I don't see enough there. The age gap is certainly closer with Noah Hannafin, but again, that's a completely different position. And what's out there for other options, I think, becomes a... Uh, you know, an important factor. And the biggest factor for me on the Noah Hannafin side of things is I think Matt Dumba is the only reasonable NHL piece still out there for nothing. If a team wants to make a, a big splash on defense or make a significant add to their defense at this time of the season, this, the time of the off season, I should say, you're going to have to go out and trade for somebody. You're going to have to go out and trade for someone like Noah Hannafin. That should bring back a, a decent enough return for the Calgary Flames in that sense. For for Ottawa, they, they kind of got stuck in this pattern that we talked about, about a guy that held all the cards and said, I wanted to go to this destination. And uh, that's the return they wound up getting this weekend. Do I, do I think it relates to anything going on around the Calgary Flames? No. And it's seems to still be wait and see time for, for Craig Conroy. And look, it's, it's early July. Don't, uh, you know, don't say that Conroy's fumbled the bag or has waited too long. Uh, you know, patience sometimes. Does it always pay off? No, but I'm also we're too early to say that it hasn't paid off for the Calgary Flames as well. So that's the big news out of the NHL this weekend. Alex Dabrinkit, uh gets his wish. He's traded from the Ottawa Senators. He lands in Detroit, signs a four-year contract extension with the Red Wings. And uh, will no doubt be a very interesting line mate for Dylan Larkin and potentially give that Red Wings uh, and some of those young forwards that offensive push that they've needed uh, for the last couple of seasons. And the Senators will uh, will bring in Kubelik. We'll see if maybe those about uh, Vlad Tarasenko coming in uh, to help replace the Brinkett are still uh, viable or not for the Sens. We'll take a break. We'll come back on the other side. Close out the hour with a couple of different topics to get to. We're into the all-star break for the Toronto Blue Jays. They end uh, the first half of their season on a winning note, heading into the home run derby Monday night for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Look at some of the odds for Vladdy and some of the other participants in the home run derby. Plus, it's been something we're not used to here in Calgary over the last 10, 12 years, and that's a disappointing start to the season for the Calgary Stampeders, now 1-3 after a loss in Winnipeg to the Blue Bombers on Friday. We'll get you caught up with a Stamps report on the other side. This is Sportsnet Today here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. 
Your number one spot for Flames coverage can be found on Flames Talk with me, Pat Steinberg. Exclusive interviews, trusted insiders, and the latest news. Listen live weekday afternoons at 4 or stream the Flames Talk podcast on demand. You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on the home of the Flames. Sportsnet 960, the fan. We are rolling on hour one of Sportsnet Today. Logan Gordon along with you. Day four of the Calgary Stampede. The greatest outdoor show on earth. Getting some rain downtown, cooling off what's been a hot weekend. People have been all over Stampede. Have you seen the crowds, Azam? I have. I was there on Friday. Madness. It was nuts. Holy. Taylor, you were there on Saturday night, I want to say, with uh, with Cam for our WPCA friends. I was. And it was equally crazy, right? Yeah. It was lots of people. Shan, have you, uh, have you graced the grounds? Uh, yeah, I have. I decided that I would go to Nashville North on a Saturday, so well, I uh, had a good two and a half, well, I'd say two hours talking to my friends in line. So That was know. probably a bad idea. Cam and I walked past that line a couple times, and it was wrapped essentially around all the way to the Saddle Dome. Yep, I was in it. Not fun. I don't know what it is. I, I, I can get the hype for Shaq. That looked unbelievable. Yeah, that line was nuts. I passed that so cool. many times. Oh, I was like, thank God I'm not on that line. But Everything is just going crazy. There's attendance records, the crowds at the rodeo, and the Rangeland Derby have been crazy. Uh, I don't know what it is this year, but uh, Calgary's going hard on some stampede, and I love it. Uh, we got a uh, whole week to go, so get out there and enjoy yourselves. We'll have stampede reports for you all week long here on Sportsnet 960. Uh, what you need to know, what's happening down at the grounds all week long concerts. There's still plenty of great concerts. Alabama's already hit the stage of the dome. Pitbull was there. Uh, I mentioned Shaq came down and did his DJ thing, which had people going crazy. Um, was there anyone at who was at National North that night you were going, Shan? Oh, you know I'm forgetting. His, even know. Jojo. Let me. I can pull this up real quick. Jojo, Jojo he was pretty good. I'll give yeah. him that. Uh, Jojo Mason. Yeah. Okay. National North usually an underrated spot to get some good music too. You could never get in there. Um, good for you guys. Glad that you guys have gone down and had some fun. Uh, it's been, like I said, it's been absolutely crazy seeing some of the pictures of the, I don't know what you call it, the Sky Track or the, the WestJet thing that goes over top. Some of the images have been insane. Uh, and it looks like it's only going to continue throughout the week. Lots to get to. Like I said, we'll uh, keep you up to date with all things Stampede. Uh, throughout the week here on Sportsnet 960, the fan. We'll switch to football here. Some CFL talk. Uh, coming up for you here on Sportsnet today, the Stampeders were in action Friday, taking on the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Uh, we talked to Patrick Dumas with a live Stamps report on Friday and talked about, look, this is going to be a tough one for the Stamps. Coming off a bye, that's a good thing. You've got Mark and Michelle in the lineup. Reggie Begleton's off the six-game injured list. These are good things for the Calgary Stampeders. And look, Dedrick Mills was running hard, that hard-running style of his Looked like it was going to pay off for the Stampeders. They were holding off the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, but second-half adjustments made the difference in this game. Uh, the Bombers adjusted. The Stamps were not able to, and the Calgary Stampeders come out of Winnipeg with another loss early on this season, falling to 1-3 on the campaign. We're not used to seeing that under Dave Dickinson and John Huffnagel. 24-11 is your final score. 
The Stamps now even further behind the likes of Winnipeg, BC, and Saskatchewan, all who picked up wins in week number five. Now at the latest on the Stampeders following a disappointing outcome in Winnipeg on Friday. Time for your Monday Stamps Report with Patty Dumas. This, this is the Stamps Report with Patrick Dumas. The Stampeders were looking to get back in the win column coming off of their bye week, heading into a recent house of horrors for them. IG Field in Winnipeg taking on the 3-1 and Blue Bombers. Calgary, like I mentioned, did not play in Week 4. They lost their last outing in double overtime to the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. The Stamps' lone win on the year was back on the road in Ottawa in Week 2. So to avoid a 1-3 start, they would have to win in Winnipeg for just the first time since 2017. And the start from the red and white was just what they wanted, establishing the run early and often and getting pressure on Bombers quarterback Zach Kolaros. Dietrich Mills' first carry would go for 33 yards and would get Calgary deep into the Bombers' side of the field, but the Stamps would have to settle for three thanks to a 30-yard Rene Paredes field goal. Next drive out, more from Mills as he would have four carries for 28 yards, including a touchdown, and just like that, Calgary was up 10-0. You could hear a pin drop at IG Field. That Mills touchdown might have been the watermark spot for the Stamps offensively back on Friday. After getting seven carries on the Stamps' first three drives for 77 yards and a touchdown, Mills would only see the ball seven more times on the evening for a grand total of 23 yards. The Bombers would end up tying this one before halftime up at 11. Calgary would only have six possessions in the entire second half, amounting to a grand total of 56 yards offensively and only four first downs. Quarterback Jake Mayer had a gut punch of an interception as he overthrew Mark and Michelle, who was making his stamps return after four seasons away in the National Football League. Mayor finished the game 14-25 with only 122 yards and an INT, and he spoke to the media following this one. Played a pretty decent first half. Um, second half, we came out, and they made a few plays that gave them a lot of momentum. Me turning the ball over in that situation wasn't great. Um, so I'm always going to put it on my shoulders. And, and take responsibility for, for what happens to us as an offense. That's always how it's going to be, good, bad, or ugly. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, first half was was very competitive. The second half wasn't. And, uh, it's on us offensively. How uh, impressed were you by Reggie? I mean, he came back earlier than expected from a rib injury of all things. So he went up high to get a couple of balls exposing those ribs, too, mm-hmm. and yet he was still making plays at a high level. Yeah, I mean, Reggie's a warrior. He's always been like that. Um, I'm super grateful he did come back as, as quick as he did. Um, you know, we really weren't sure, you know, where he was going to be at health-wise on this night, and um, he played confident. He played great. He's always he's, he's just a consistent guy. Like he's always a guy you can count on. So nothing surprising me about Reggie and what he does. And I'm just super grateful he's on he's on our side. And uh, that first half with Dietrich, uh, what's uh, what was the uh, offensive line finding or taking advantage of against Winnipeg that created all these holes for him? Yeah, I mean. We were the aggressor in the first half, and, uh, and we had a lot of momentum. Dietrich's obviously a stud. He's gonna he's gonna make work with whatever you put in front of him. Um, so yeah, I mean, we got downhill early. That was a that was part of the plan, and we executed in the first half. We just didn't execute in the second. Mayor's taking full responsibility for this one, and he knows he needs to be better. Dietrich Mills looked like he was easily on his way to a 100-yard performance, but he did not see the ball as much following his touchdown, and he also spoke after the loss. We just didn't execute at the end like we should have. Um, I feel like we had a great second half, um, and we just had we just need to come 
Back out in the second half, and, you know, always finish the second half stronger than we finished the first half. So, I mean, I just feel like we, we didn't come out in the second half and finish the game. You were just having four yards sorry, in, the, in the first quarter. I mean, what happened in the second half? Were you just not getting the holes, or they were pressuring I mean, they, they, they changed some things up on their defense and tried to, um, you know, box us in and stuff like that. So, we, we, couldn't, we couldn't really get out. Get, I mean, the holes weren't really opening up anymore and stuff like that. So... Every time you play Winnipeg, it feels like you guys are right there. Are there positives that you can take away? It's from most them? definitely positives that we can take away from it. We just got to capitalize on the stuff we did in the first half and come back out in the second half and, and put together a, a whole nother, a whole nother team, you know, a whole nother drive, everything going on. So we just got to come back out in the second half and finish the game. Diedrich ended up with 97 yards on 14 carries. Finally, time to hear from the head coach and general manager, Dave Dickinson, on his observations from Friday night. Well, we did have a good start. Um, it's a 60-minute game, and uh, we didn't adjust to what they were doing. And they took it to us in the second half. So, um, good team. Um, we got to we got to find ways to be better, though. And we got to we got to make plays. You just can't kind of just stall and not not move the field and, and turn the ball over. So, um, we just ran out of gas on defense. Thought they played hard. Um, but uh, Winnipeg outplayed us. That's the way it is. Dietrich Mills was really chipping away, but. <coughs> You know, finishing with 122 yards passing. I mean, how do you get that balance? Yeah, you can't win with 122 yards passing. You just, it's not going to work. Um, you're right. So, and then uh, you know, we got to find ways to push the ball downfield, but that takes protection as well, and and seeing and design and and winning one-on-one matchups. Um, you know, they they got a good defense. I give them credit, but uh, we have to be better. We have to be more explosive. Can't win with that uh, that production uh, passing the ball. Do you feel like your offensive line held up? Um, no, but uh, I think they're battling. Uh, I, I, the reason I say no is because it's got to be all 12. You know, we have to do a better job, and yet the quarterback has to do a better job, and the coaches have to do a better job. So it's it's 100%. It's a group, but uh, you can't tell me and look at that that there anyone with an offense there can look in the mirror and say that we played a, a good game. We were, we're not at our best, and we can't win with that. Considering that Reggie came back perhaps earlier than expected, uh, what do you think of his game, especially he had to extend on a couple of uh, Yeah, I see how sore he is. Um, the guy is kind of, he's just built different. I just I believe he takes care of his body uh, better than most. So hopefully he comes out healthy. I mean, we do have another long week, but we're on the road to Sask, and uh, we got to find a way to get a win. we we got to play better, though. we got to make sure that as a team uh, we don't waste great effort uh, with lack of execution. So we got to got to get after it. Coming out of the bye, if there were certain blocks that you wanted to tick, to check out, which ones made the grade and where did you fall? Um, it's a hard one to say. You checked any box off. Uh, we came out with a good start, and we were affecting their quarterback, and we were, uh, you know, stopping their run. Uh, but 60-minute game, so if you can't do it for 60, it's not a checked box, and uh, unfortunately, we, we probably didn't check any boxes tonight. Stamps fall 24-11 to the Blue Bombers, and they fall to 1-3 in the West Division. You have to go back all the way to 2004 for the last time the Stamps had to start this poorly in a full 18-game season. Boys get one more rest day on Monday before preparations for Week Six's opponent, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, begin on Tuesday. With your Stamps report, I'm Patrick Dumas. Thank you, Patty. Appreciate that. Yes, the Stampeders' next opponent is a big one. No such thing as a must-win game at this point in the season, but for the Calgary Stampeders, looking up at Saskatchewan, BC, Winnipeg in those standings right now, you do not want to drop two against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders uh, before you even hit Week 7. That will be the culmination of the Week 6 games. It all starts on Thursday. The Elks get another chance 
and a home win and a win in in general on uh, Thursday night football. They welcome in the Hamilton Tiger Cats, uh, who are one in three on the season. Friday night football, Alouettes and Argos from Montreal. That one's a 5.30 kickoff. Winnipeg and Ottawa going at 2 o'clock on Saturday. Just terrible news uh, for Jeremiah Masoli, who uh, ruptured his ACL uh, again in that uh, loss to Hamilton. He is out for the season for Hamilton, or for the Red Blacks, excuse me. Um, just kind of feel for that guy, the the all the work he had to get back and set to play against his former team, and uh, to have it end like that uh, this season is just brutal for him. So hoping for the best in recovery for Jeremiah Masoli. And like we said, Stamps and the Saskatchewan Rough Riders close things out Saturday, July 15th at Saskatchewan, 5 o'clock kickoff to end off week 6 in the CFL schedule. Uh, Toronto Blue Jays switching things over. They're in their all-star break. Got there with a win over the Detroit Tigers. Big win for the Jays. Got them to 50 wins uh, at the halfway mark of the season, which is in the all-star break. Home run derby goes tonight. We'll get into all of that and more, but let's get the latest on the Jays. Time for the Jays Report with Taylor Dingman. Time now for the Jays Report on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Here's Taylor Dingman. The Toronto Blue Jays finished up a weekend series against the Detroit Tigers yesterday afternoon where the Jays won two of three games. Manoa made his return to the Jays lineup on Friday night and pitched six innings only giving up one run on five hit. It seems like Manoa is back to his true form and the Blue Jays offense took off as they won 12 to 2. Saturday's game was a different story. The game started with an almost 90 minute rain delay and Kevin Gosman started the game giving up two runs in the first but he and the rest of the pitchers were lights out. Luck wasn't on the offensive side as they got no hit for the seventh time in franchise history. It seemed like Sunday's game was going in the same direction as the Jays fell 0-3 by the end of the fifth. Everything came to the last out as Danny Jansen hit a two-round homer to tie the game and send it to extra innings. 1-0. Fly ball. Out to left. It's hit well, and it is gone! And we are tied in the ninth! Danny Jansen delivers a game-tying two-run home run in the ninth! The Jays won 4-3 thanks to an RBI double from Nathan Lucas. And Danny Jansen spoke post-game about how he felt going into that at-bat and hitting a home run. You feel you know, almost on top of the world, you know, at that moment, you know. So especially, you know, you're dh and stuff, and uh, you have all the time to think about at-bats, too, when you're on the bench, you know, during, uh, in between at-bats. So Today is the start of All-Star Week, and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. will face off against Mookie Betts in the first round of the Home Run Derby tonight. That's your Jays report for this Monday. Catch the Home Run Derby at 6 p.m. right here on Sportsnet 960. Catch the Blue Jays all season long right here on Calgary's home of the Blue Jays, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Thank you, Taylor. Appreciate that. Yes, the Home Run Derby tonight from Seattle. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and John Schneider. Looking to uh, send a couple balls out to the fences. Uh, loaded field this year in the uh, home run derby. Pete Alonzo once again trying his hand at becoming the second player to ever take home three home run derby crowns. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. back to the event after his record-breaking performance in 2019. Julio Rodriguez looking to become the first hometown winner of the home run derby since Bryce Harper did it back in 2018. Single elimination Timed format that they got back uh, and they started in 2015 is back for this year's uh, event. Eight competitors placed into a bracket 
uh, determined by their home run totals through July 4th. You've got uh, a couple of those guys that I mentioned, including Luis Robert uh, Jr. He's got 26 home runs. Pete Alonso, 26. Mookie Betts of the Dodgers with 26 of his own. Uh, Adolis Garcia, Adolis Garcia from the Texas Rangers in there. Randy Rosarena, uh, Julio Rodriguez, Adley Rushman is all uh, part of it. And like uh, Taylor mentioned in the report, there uh, it'll be Betts versus Guerrero. Betts into his first home run derby. One of the hottest hitters in baseball. He's got 13 home runs since June 1st and three in his final two games before the break. Star outfielder seems to have found his power stroke at the perfect time. No Dodger has ever won the event despite multiple semifinal appearances since 2015. It'll be the seventh All-Star game this week for Mookie Betts, who is on pace for a career-best 47 home runs. And a lot of eyes, especially for Blue Jays fans, going to be on Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who makes his long-awaited return to the Derby. He burst on the scene with a record 91 home runs in 2019. The Jays' first baseman skipped out on the last two events. This time, the 24-year-old hoping to finish the job after losing in the finals to Pete Alonso. If the uh, 2019 finalists both emerge from their first-round matchups, uh, they'll face off in what is going to be a must-see semifinal. Uh, and although he's just seventh in the field with 13 home runs this season, uh, Vladdy comes in a three-time All-Star, the highest average and max exit velocities of the entire field. So it's going to be interesting to watch home run derby. Still, for my money, one of the best events when it comes to all-star game festivities. The game itself, not all that interesting, but I still love a good home run derby. Uh, and I'm excited to see what Vladdy has in store for us being back at the home run derby this season. Quick look at the standings for the Toronto Blue Jays as we head into uh, the all-star break. They find themselves third in the American League East, 50-41. and 41. That is seven games behind the Tampa Bay Rays who lead the AL East with a 58-35 and 35 record. Uh, they're also training the, the Baltimore Orioles, what? Uh, who are 54-35, and 35, which is unbelievable to me. Uh, Baltimore goes into the All-Star break with a five-game winning streak. Uh, Jays are on a 6-4 and four streak uh, in their last 10. Plus 34 run differential, 23-18 uh, and 18 record at home, 27-23 and 23 on the road. They are in the final wildcard spot in the American League, tied with the Houston Astros, who have an identical 50-41 and 41 record. Your AL division leaders heading into All-Star Weekend, Tampa Bay, Texas, and the Cleveland Guardians. Cleveland at 44, or 45-45, and 45, Texas at 52-39. and 39. So still lots to be decided. Yankees still around. They're just a game behind the Jays. Red Sox, two games behind. Seattle's in this conversation as well. Uh, and like we said, Cleveland in their division, at just 45 and 45, have the Minnesota Twins right on their heels. They're 45 and 46. Uh, Jays, a uh, quick reminder, too. Want to make sure we get this. Uh, the home run derby will be here on uh, Sportsnet 960, the fan tonight, in case you're not able to get to a TV. Maybe you're busy uh, out and about getting to different stampede uh, events. You can listen to all the action right here on your home of the Jays. Sportsnet 960, the fan. Azam, my one producer, are you over there? Yes, I'm here. Home run derby, yay or nay? Yay, I don't mind it. Shan? I I absolutely love watching dudes hit balls 450 like 60 times. It's amazing. Taylor? I got to be honest. I think it's probably the best event in any all-star game of any sport. 
I would agree. I feel like it's just very on par instead of, you know, dunking people into dunk tanks. But <laughs> Yeah, look, there's there's some fun ones. Like there's there's I know this is always such a classic summer event to get into for sports radio, but the dunk contest can be fun in the NBA, but it doesn't feel like the stars go there anymore. Like you never Oh, I have... was talking about the NHL and no, the dunk No, no, I get you. I get you. I know where you're going with that, but I'm saying like as far as like comparable all-star events, like the NHL has some fun ones. There's some interesting. They've tried some creative things. I'll give them points for trying. The NFL one sucks. Let's be honest. I don't want to watch you play flag football or dodgeball. I don't want to see that. The dunk contest for me, guys, is the closest second to the home run derby. The home run derby is the king of all-star game events. Does anyone disagree with that? The dunk contest used to be the thing. And and you're right. The stars don't do it anymore. Like there's there was a G Leaguer this year and that I think that ruined it for a lot of people. But you know, you watch the one that happened in Toronto with Aaron Gordon and Zach Levine. That was one of the best dunk contests one of the best all star events ever. That feels like the last good dunk contest, too. One hundred percent. Was that the one where Aaron Gordon went over the mascot? Yep, on, on a hoverboard. Yeah. He was spinning. With the ball in his hand, I still can't believe he lost that thing. He was robbed. But yeah, like the dunk, like, you're never gonna have the kind of feel. And I don't, I don't understand why. I don't know why the NBA guys. I, I guess it can be embarrassing if you miss. And but I mean, like Vince Sanity used to do it, and it, everybody went crazy. It was like this highlight moment. And nobody in the NBA wants to do it. Like I get LeBron's almost forty now, so maybe he doesn't have to be in it, but. I don't know, name the last big NBA star. And even you mentioned that, Shannon. That's a good one you brought up. Eric Gordon and Zach Levine aren't exactly stars in the league. Like, they're not near the top of guys that you would pay for to see in that kind of event. And and Mac McClung, you look at the one last year, he hadn't even played NBA games. He was, you know, he was in the G League, and they said, this guy can dunk in the G League. It'd be a cool, uh, cool event. And mind you, he did all right, but that's just not what the average NBA fan wants to see. No. And I'm all for the home run derby tonight. I just want to see, I want to see a baseball orbited 600 feet into somebody's Honda Civic in the parking lot. That's that's what I want to see. Do you want one to fly from Seattle to yes, Calgary, just like 100%, right outside? Yes, that's exactly. I want the feats of human strength to come out and the most obscure ways possible. I don't even care. I don't want any of those stupid kids in the outfield. Walking around, picking up the ball. I don't want them to get a Logan's single ball. Logan's going to push them all out of no, the way. He's going sing- to be the one who's going <laughs> to catch them all. No, I'm not going to catch it. I don't even want a single. I want all home runs. I don't even want. I just want to see who gets tired first. I don't want to see those kids get a single ball. I just want to see all of them go 550 feet. And we just we, we, we go for hours and hours. I just I, I can't. I, it doesn't get boring to me to watch. The home run derby. It's it's one of my favorite things of all time. And I hope it's good tonight. Quickly around the table before we get out of here. Does Vladdy win the event tonight? Taylor, yes or no? Oh, that one's hard. I He's got a terrible matchup. The field is so stacked against Vladdy to win. I think round one, he can do it easily. The other rounds is when he starts facing Pete Alonzo. That's, and... that's what I mean. He's going to go Mookie Betts and then he's going to go Pete Alonzo. That's such garbage. Or Julio Rodriguez, it but either it's not good either way. Yes or no? N- I, not this no, year. Nah, 
Azam, does Vladdy win it this year? I'm going to be optimist. I'll say yes. I think this is the time his pressure is going to finally get to him and he's going to come out the diamond that he is. It would be so Vladdy to win it on the year where he's not hitting home runs during the regular season like we expect him to. Shan, before we get out of here, Vladdy win the home run derby this year, yes or no? I, I like what Taylor's saying. He's going to win round one. He's not winning this thing. Sorry. Oh. Pete Alonso, guys like that, they're they're made for this uh, event. And I, he'll never replicate what he what he did a few years ago. That he has John same. Schneider. So at least he's got, he he's has got his, his buddy. Yep. friendships along the way. Got his buddy there. We'll see how they do tonight. Uh, again, you can watch it on the Sportsnet Television Network, or we'll have it here uh, on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Uh, she's Taylor. Azam's over there. Shan's over there. I appreciate all their hard work. We are out of here for the day. We'll be back tomorrow. Two-hour program for you on a Tuesday. Keep it locked right here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.